From the world of AV programming and control with James King, I'm Steve Greenblatt, and this is Ask the Programmer. Hey, James, how are you today? I'm glad we're back for another exciting episode. I'm doing great. It's always be uh, great to be back, and we even have a guest, which makes it even better. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, I'm pleased and uh, very excited to introduce our guest today, somebody that I have gotten to know for many years, and, and uh, we've become close friends because we have similar businesses in the independent programming space, and I'll let him get into those details. He's uh, Mark Lavecchia from BMA Software Solutions. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, brother. I appreciate the invitation. Well, th thanks for being with us. And what we would like to do with our audience, since our audience is programmers, but it's also pro people that want to learn a little bit more about programmers. So it's kind of uh, the extension of programming. We, we look at this as some way of building community around programmers, but also educating the industry a bit. So um, I wanted to give you a few minutes just to talk a little bit about your background in AV because you've uh, worked in a lot of different places and also highlight the fact that your background, although is you you are in the programming space, you're you're not actually a programmer. Yeah. But, and that's that's uh, a little bit unusual in, in our world, which is, I think, to our benefit. Um, I got started into this business years ago. I was an unemployed marketing person in Orlando, Florida. I had no work. I had nothing. I couldn't find work, and it was bad. And I ended up getting an interview with a company in Titusville, Florida called Ampro projection and ampro was making three gun projectors and at the time these new light valve projectors that were coming out and i got hired five weeks before an infocom show with new products and new data sheets and new spec sheets and i had to do the marketing for this entire show uh, and that was when it started and, and, it, and it never stopped really after that um, now this is going back years ago um I want to go back to the point where at that time infocom used to have a thing called the shootout where everybody would have put their displays and uh, they would, like Gary Kay at one year was was the chairman of the shootout and he would dress in a cowboy outfit, you know, with a hat and a vest and, and little fake six shooters. Um, if you remember that, then you know how long I've been doing this. It's been a long time. Uh, from that point, I bounced amongst other manufacturers that are more well-known uh, than Ampro, who's gone at this point, but I was at, uh, I was at Hughes JVC for a little while, which really created the first real a uh, light valve projector jumped over to Stuart film screen for a bit uh, before I was picked up uh, again, sales marketing for Crestron. And I started working for Crestron about 30 years ago. I was asked to open up their West coast office. They were getting their butts kicked by AMX and who was beginning to transition to Panja at the time. Uh, and they needed a West coast presence. So they hired myself and a, uh, the, the friend of mine, Barry, as the, the technical brains of the office. And we started up the Crestron West office about 30 years ago. About 10 years into that, uh, Crestron was expanding greatly. And it wasn't my fit, really. It was just, it was getting too big for me. I work better in small spaces, more one-on-one -on -one personal, as opposed to opening things up. So uh, I tried to figure out what my next step was going to be simultaneously. My buddy, Barry, who was there said, you know, I feel like I'm not fitting in and I want to try something different. He's a programmer. And I had a front row seat to 10 years of bad programming happening in this industry. And I saw a need there that, that, that maybe we could bring a process to programming in the AV world, the commercial AV world that would help dealers and integrators to be able to be more successful at what they're doing instead of spending the last five days at a job calling us for tech support because they can't get something to work. And that was how it started. It was twofold. Number one, it was see a need, fill a need, right? There was a real need for good programming. 
And the second part of it was programmers, uh, and we know this, uh, are a special breed of cat. And you can't just work them and work them and work them into the ground. Because it's one thing if they're working 12 hours pulling cable. It's another thing if they're behind a desk or down in a basement and they're cold and they've got their laptop and they're working around the clock to make something work. Their brains will melt, man. And you absolutely must ensure that you take care of them. So our first priority when we started BMA was to ensure that this was going to be quality of life first and foremost. Uh, we were going to work the hours that we, we needed to work, but we weren't going to work any harder longer than we had to, unless at some point the job required it. Then we all pedal a little faster, take care of the customer, but we were trying to keep everybody from burning themselves out. And that that's really how it got started. And it blew up quickly because what our industry needed at the time was a process and reliability from programmers. Those are two things they didn't have at the time. Again, I'm going back about 20 years ago, the BMA started. Process and reliability. You bring those two things into the equation and suddenly the integrators and people who have a need, like, this is great. Like I just lost my guy the other day. He has the code, he can't find his laptop. This is what I'm looking for, consistency, reliability. And, and it's 20 years later and we're just as busy as we've ever been. And I, to me, I think that, that that's a real differentiator there. And that, that's something that really needs to be noted is that you looked at, a need and you address the need rather than saying, I could just go out because I'm trying to make more money or I'm trying to um, do something um, for myself. It was more so we had principles behind and that drove us to set out the course for this business. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and it started with, a, with, 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 with my partner at the time when we sat down and we said, listen, uh, there's a few things we need to make sure we agree on here. Okay. Uh, number one, we never leave a job. Okay. I don't care how bad it gets. I don't know how sideways it gets. No, even if it's not our fault, we never, ever leave our job. Number two, we are a hundred percent honest all the time about what's going on. Number three, we only take the jobs that make sense for us. I don't want to take a job for the sake of cash flow. That's a bad plan. And that's what happens to a lot of programmers. They need something. So they take it and it doesn't work. And so that's been the premise for us. Uh, and I will tell you uh, joyfully that after uh, almost 20 years, there are six of us. Uh, and in all those 20 years, we've had one person who has left us. Everybody else has been with us for all this time. And, and, and I think that's a testimony to the consistency and the honesty that we push with our customers that they know they can rely on us day to day and we're there for them. James, uh, I'll kind of bring you into this. And one of the things that I know is important when it comes to in-house programming, which is seems to be the polar opposite of independent programming. It is a lot of the same things. We 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 want to do things right. We want to take care of our clients. We want to make sure that we we're, we're reliable and and that um, there's a, there is I think also a a high degree of care in in um, in in-house programming. Um, Hearing what Mark is saying, how uh, is is uh, do you feel that independent programming is portrayed um, accurately in the market? Um, no, I don't think it's portrayed accurately in the market. And the reason why I, I think Mark hit a really interesting saying, and I, I kind of would like maybe Mark to explain more. Maybe it could go in our second episode. I'm not sure. But that whole, uh, 
you know, we schedule our time. We don't work over, like, push work, 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 work. We know in our industry, AV is last to the table, and per AV programming is last, last. So the time frame to get a job done, especially for an independent programmer, is a very short window. So how do you keep that, oh, we're not going to work 20 hours in a day when your window is very small? I find that very refreshing that you're doing it. Uh, but it, to me, I see most programming house, and see if you can probably correct me if I'm wrong, is more like, okay, you're going to come in at the 10th hour, and you're going to be done in the 11th hour. Because yeah. no one understands that programming actually takes a lot of time. And that's where you lose programmers. That's where you lose them. And 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 what a lot of integrators, they know this, but they don't really pay attention to it as much as they should. Is when you, it's one thing if you lose a person. I say lose, they quit or they 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 burn out or whatever. If you're in, and I I deal primarily with integrators, but we have worked with some end users in some cases. But here's what we know: that if you have somebody that's pulling cables and building racks and so forth, that's a that's a particular talent, and you can teach that talent pretty quickly and get somebody up to speed, okay? Um, but you can't teach a programmer how to get up to speed quickly and efficiently. So when you lose a program, you're losing a really important part of your job, especially if it's in the middle of a project and they are I'm out and you have to bring in somebody that has to understand from the beginning what's going on. So how do we combat that? First and foremost, anybody that we do business with, we have a sit down from the beginning and we let them know that we are not just a programming firm we are built to be the programming department for their company and what that means is we need to be brought in when you, you begin the sales process i'm selling this product i'm selling this job i'm going to the customer here are my my basic line drawing scope of work bill of materials how many how many notes is it going to take you to name this song and we can come to them with a number. Now I've got a lead. Okay. And this is where it's a little bit different for us because I grew up in sales and marketing. That's a lead to me. And now I follow that lead. I do a proposal and I follow up. How's it going? I got the PO. Great. Place your order for us when you place your order for your hardware. Now I've got four to five weeks running head start. Let's do submittals on the on the touch panel. Let's make sure that we have an understanding of the scope of work. Let's make sure that's approved by the customer before you bring me in at the end and say, I just need to make everything work. Half of what we do successfully is programmed. The other half of what we do successfully is our process. That process is critical. If you're going to bring a programmer in at the end, you're, you're, you're just, you're losing money. You're bleeding out money and you're, you're, you're going to have an unsuccessful project. You bring them in in the beginning, the very beginning, even if you haven't won the job yet, bring me in, I'll sit down with you. We'll go through it. What are the other values to this? Let's take the, the simple programming out of the equation. I'm going to take this. Here's the project, Mark. Take a look at it. Take a look at it. I'm like, oh, you're not going to put that in there, are you? Why not? Well, we've been having a lot of trouble working with this. And James, if you know, you've had products that they just don't work, okay? So somebody comes to me and says, I'd like to do this. I have four jobs that I can't complete because of this piece of garbage. Do yourself a favor. Find an alternative. I have alternatives. Alternatives that I know work because there are plugins and modules that are built for this that I've already run and tested. And they like, I had no idea. That's great. You just saved me an extra day, two days on a job site trying to commission something. So it's not just programming. 
it really is a partnership for us, and which is why we deal pretty much with five integrators, six or seven extras, but we deal with the same integrators all the time. Uh, because, and so as a result, they may have a customer with multiple rooms that we're constantly working on throughout the year, or they may have a new customer that has multiple rooms where we can begin to set down the standards for them. Uh, but but a lot of times what people say is, well, you're the programmer, come on, I'm in a program. And that's really half of it as far as we're concerned. We bring a level of knowledge and testing and experience to help you get your job done, driven by somebody who grew up in the world of sales. And in the world of sales, we live by margin. If we don't make a margin, we lose. We, we go broke. So how do we protect the margins? The best place to protect margin on any project where programming is involved is get programming in up front. Make sure everybody understands how the system is going to work, what your process is, that they accept and buy into your process. And then the next part is, which I know Steve wants to get into, and I think we could dig deeper, is now I'm working with an integrator who has a programmer. What does that look like? Are they upset because I'm doing this job for them? Or are they happy because they don't have time for it? But they're going to have to go in the field to commission it. That becomes now the next leg of our journey. Uh, which is a critical part that we've really, got, I think we've gotten pretty good at uh, being able to address. And we could talk about that at some point, but that's now where you've got that merger of you're just a programmer. No, I'm not. I'm an extension of your company. Well, you're going to have to work with my company now in the field. What does that look like? And that becomes the next step to make it successful for everybody. What's interesting, I think also is that the, and, and I know this because you and I, talk a lot, Mark, and, and you you also help the companies that you work with be better. I know yeah. that part of what you do, the byproduct of it is, is that you help them strengthen their companies. So although you come in to offer them programming, you help them to ha have create a system, create a process. You've probably said that five or six times already, yeah. and and you help, you help them become a stronger company because they have a way to go about doing things. And perhaps that way will include you for a long, the long haul, or perhaps you've kind of set them off on their course and they're going to be doing things themselves. I mean, we don't know that, but I think that, that, that become, that that's a very, uh, admirable uh, piece that independent programmers do that isn't always recognized. Well, because in order to survive as an independent programmer, you have to have a process in place. If you don't, you're done. But integrators don't ever see it that way. Not all. I mean, some of them are very good at it. I don't want to cast a wide net here. But historically speaking, a programmer has been somebody that sits in an office and they get to this job, go to this job site, make this stuff work and let me know when it's done. Where for us, the process is where the margins are. If you follow our process, I will help you make money. Okay. Programmers don't say that very often. But I say that when I'm starting with a new customer. The, the challenge for us is that is spoken typically to the principal, to the principals or maybe the director of project management or whatever, who isn't in the field with the programmers, but he likes what I'm saying. And so I can I can get that started in the beginning, but in the end, it needs to translate to actually happening in the field and showing them it happening, and then making sure that when we get to the end, that their field engineers and their programmers come back and go, man, that was awesome. It worked. The com customer came in. 
They walked through the system. We knew exactly how it was operating. It was just flawless. We have a happy customer and three more rooms are coming. And that's the point I have to go back to their bosses and go, how did it go? Ask your team how it went. And when they start to put together the value of protecting their margins and adding profitability to their project through picking the right programming group, it changes their dynamic. And you know what? I may end up not doing any more programming for them, but they will go back to their team and go, hey, I don't, I don't, did you get a sign off on those touch panels? Did you get approval before you started writing code? Did you send our programmer to the job site before the job was ready for him to commission it? Did you just blow all our money this way? And if we can start that conversation, I'm good too. It's, it's I think, very impressive when companies start to adopt the way you do things and when they're not working with you. And I think that, that you know, they say that that's the definition of a brand, that it's what people say about you when you're not around. So it's, yeah. it's kind, of, kind of neat well, in that regard. And I've been doing this for a long time. And one of the things that I don't fit in with the model of this industry, and, and I apologize if this sounds more personal than business related. Um, I, I, I don't I don't chase ribbons and badges, okay? I'm not somebody, you know, I've joked to you in the past, you go to Infocom and somebody has their, their Infocom badge with all the ribbons that are going down and stuff. That's not, I, what we're interested in doing is being able to educate, improve, elevate, enhance, and build partnerships so that everybody involved walks away and says, that was a good experience. And the reason is because I've been in this industry for so long, it's got such a bad history to it, a bad history to it. And, and I've always felt like I needed to fix that. Give you an example real quickly without, without burning time. You can't have the code. And, you know, I'm an integrator and I do a big job and the job's done. And they would call me a question on the customer. They, they won't give me the code. Uh Okay, call the customer back. If I give them the code, I might lose them, or they owe me fifty bucks, or something like that. Like, you, you you can't operate that way. You have to turn the code over all the time. You just have to do it. It it it's in, it to me, it's unethical to do anything other than that. You get paid, you turn the code over. If you're going to lose the customer, I promise you, it's not because you're turning the code over. You're going to lose the customer because you sucked at what you did, and they want to find somebody else. That's just the truth. And so those are the things that the perceptions and the realities that I, I, for me and our team at BMA, we talk about all the time, honest, straightforward, be there, help. Even if we're not needed in the situation, if we have information we can share, let's share it. Let's, let's, let's elevate our industry to a better place than its history would show. Yeah, I like that a lot. I, um, James, I wanted to, as we wrap up, just comment on what you had asked before about how do you avoid uh, working people too hard, and how do you avoid doing uh, putting people putting programmers on the hot seat? I I could say from my experience too, and and Mark and I, we we um, we're very specific in the type of work we do and the and the timeline that we get, and we're we're very responsible about not overcommitting. So we we set a a time frame and say we we can't cannot do this in less than this amount of time if that doesn't work i'm sorry we're not the right fit for you and 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 you have to be disciplined one of the things that i learned probably one of the first things that i learned in starting out um and on the business side is how to say no and yep. and, and it's really really hard um okay i don't change i because you're your situation is you're there, right? You're you are employed by 
uh, the, the university, yep. the, the university, excuse me. So you're, you're employed there. So it, it, you've got to filter in everything that's coming to you. I don't know. I'm curious. Do you get to say no and have people say, okay, give me your schedule. How does that work for you? So I'm new here. So I'm a, a over a year, just a little over a year. Um, so everything's pretty new. So yeah, we get to set the tone back East. Uh, where I used to be, we we did 99% stuff in-house, all ourselves. I did all the programming. And uh, so the schedule was easy enough for us to work around. Here is, yeah, like just this morning, I actually had a issue and I was working with somebody and they're like, oh, we need to reboot the system. I'm like, nope, we can't. We have classes. We'll schedule that at four o'clock. Yeah. So now we're scheduled at four o'clock to do it because um, we do we cannot impact our classes. Right. Right. Everything. See, that's the what we get is filtered in a different way to us. But it's the same thing. I need these to be up and running. I can't have these down. And so a lot of times we're just going to tell them, then do yourself a favor. Let's not try to interrupt things right now. Let's do it at a time when it makes sense for us that we could do it properly. Yep. We could break something else, too. So. Um, so that's I, the key. I, I breaking out. I always schedule like if it. I know oh, this should take me thirty minutes. I schedule an hour because right, right. now I can revert back if I need to. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and you're in. An, you're, I, I'm curious if your situation is like some of the universities we work for uh, that hire us, uh, which is an interesting thing for me because I'm not used to it. The AV techs that work at the universities. Um, they refer to their customers as the professors and so forth that use the room. Those are their customers. Mm -hmm. So they kind of have to follow that. Is that, is that, you have a similar situation for you where that's your customers, their room, so to speak. So you got to make it work for them. So yes and no, we, um, our faculty members are our users. Our students are our users. They're, those are our customers. Uh, but I can't say, okay, this room is tailored to Steve and then okay. next room is tailored to Mark because, um, Mark, you might be teaching in one room and then another room next set. So our rooms have to be designed and usable by whoever walks in with whatever they're going to do. So it does take a lot of um design and prep work and talking to our stakeholders of saying how is the room going to be used so we can properly design and make sure that we're meeting everyone's need not just one person and you just brought the whole thing full circle james because that this is what we were talking about in the beginning if you bring us in whether it's direct at the university or me as an independent you bring us in at the beginning and we talk about what the expectations are for the room. Who's using it? How many different people? Is it the same people? What do they expect when they walk in? Do they all look the same way? We break all that down in the beginning. Then when we turn the rooms over, everybody's happy because they got exactly what we told them they were going to get, as opposed to programming something at the end because somebody forgot and I just threw some buttons on a touch panel. Uh, same same process, same process, different, different uh, fields, but same process. And I think there's a lot more to comment on that, and we'll we'll try to 
leave the audience wanting more. So I'm going to wrap this one up and we're going to have Mark back on the next episode. So stay tuned for that. Um, Mark, how can people get in touch with you, learn more about BMA Software Solutions? Uh, just at our website, bmasoftwaresolutions.com. I'm not a social media guy so much, uh, unless it's football season. But just go to our website. You can find us there. Excellent. And James, how, uh, any closing thoughts and how could people get in touch with you and learn more about what you're up to? Oh, this is a great conversation with Mark and a refreshing hearing um, from an outside person talking the same way. But uh, as always, you can reach me on Twitter or X at underscore James King, LinkedIn, not there much, but I'm out there. Anything with HEPMA, I'm on there and uh, Google me, you'll find me. Excellent. And for, for me, you can reach me at Steve Greenblatt on social media and uh, my company, Control Concepts at controlconcepts.net. And I uh, definitely want to hear uh, what you think about this episode and, and all of our episodes. So please uh, reach out to us and give us a rating review, share your favorite episode, make leave a comment, whatever you, you please, but we want to hear from you. So please uh, reach out to us and, and let us know what you think. Uh, we're always looking to uh, highlight guests and listeners. So please uh, let us know if you'd like to be part of that. And um, we, we're uh, c- continuing to uh, cover all the aspects of the, the programming related world in, in AV. So that's our plan. And with that, this has been Ask the Programmer. <laughs>